Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Um, so we're, we are going to focus on the word humble in that phrase today. And uh, we're going to do it through the outlet of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Okay, so I need some more hand raising. So first of all, uh, Star Wars nerds, raise your hand. And I'm talking like, like you've seen them all twice, at least. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, now show of hands if you uh, have casually or have never watched Star Wars before. Okay, yeah, split, split about 50-50 in this room right now. So first thing we're going to do is we are actually going to watch the official trailer for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, so take a look. They're coming. Stay hidden. Or we will not survive. Long. When the time comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father. You still want Kenobi. He's gone. Maybe you've been looking in the wrong places. I want every lowlife and bounty hunter to squeeze him. Yes, I, there's, there's, there's quite a few of us Star Wars nerds on staff. It's not just Mike. Um, <laughs> although sometimes it seems like it. <laughs> okay, so there's an awful lot to unpack in the story of this. First of all, I cheated a little bit. This isn't a movie. 
as you saw, it's a six-part series. It's actually a show, but um, I begged the pastors, and they said, all right, that's fine. You can do a show. Um, so being the nature of a show and being that it's in the nature of this massive storyline that is Star Wars, uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack here, especially for those who maybe haven't been keeping up. So I'm going to do my best to focus on the key points of the story that happens in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I'm going to focus on a few key characters um, to give you an idea of what's going on. And yes, spoiler alert to all of it. Um, I, think, I think spoiler alert time frame is about like a week to two weeks after the show is released. After that, if you haven't watched it, it's on you if you don't want spoilers. Because <laughs> you're going to get them today. So, as we go into this story... There's a couple things I want you to keep in mind. Um, first of all, remember this phrase, God is everything and I am nothing. So that's number one. And number two, we're, uh, in Star Wars, we're talking about the force. The force is that, that thing that surrounds everybody, that lives within them. And for Jedi and for Sith, the bad people, it gives them the ability to push things with their hand, force choke people, move things with their mind, be able to sense other people's thoughts, all that kind of stuff. So that's what the force is. As we go through this, we're going to, for the purposes of our exercise, we're going to relate the force to God. So let's just accept that right now, that the force is God in this story, okay? So those are your two things I want you to keep in mind as we go through this. We're going to start with the first character that I want to focus on, which is the named character, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, we're going to talk about basically the journey that he's gone through in this story. Try to summarize it. His journey is absolutely of epic humility um, and uh, a journey that required him to discover it. At the beginning of the story, we find that Obi-Wan is... Ten, it's been 10 years since the last, uh, basically since the fall of the Jedi. It's been, it's been 10 years since Darth Vader came to existence and the Jedi were almost completely destroyed from the galaxy. Uh, Obi-Wan had his hand to play in what happened during that downfall time in that he was originally the, um, the teacher of who ultimately became Darth Vader. So he was Darth Vader's teacher before Darth Vader was a bad guy. And uh, ultimately, Darth Vader, before he was Darth Vader, had a very epic moment where he needed to decide. He had to choose between remaining a Jedi or turning to the dark side. And um, through no fault of his own, ended up turning to the dark side um, because he was deceived by a lie. And so he turns to the dark side, unbeknownst to Obi-Wan because he's not present with him. Obi-Wan finds out about this, and the Jedi leaders of the time require him, tell him that he needs to go confront Darth Vader and either turn him back or destroy him because he's too dangerous. Uh, so Obi-Wan goes, tries to reason with him for a moment, but sees that Darth Vader's beyond repair at this point, um, beyond saving. So he battles with him and ultimately leaves Darth Vader left to die on this planet because he thinks he's destroyed him at this point. Um, well, turns out that's not the case. Um, Darth Vader survived. Ooh. Shocker. Um, and uh, 
Obi-Wan is tasked with going into seclusion. He needs to hide because he's a Jedi that survived the immediate purge of all the Jedi when the dark side started to take over. Um, so he needed to go and hide. But he also had a secondary mission, a, a job that he was tasked by, by his Jedi masters um, to look after a child, uh, a boy on the planet called Tatooine, which I will probably call the sand planet just for reference. Um, uh, Luke Skywalker is on the planet Tatooine, and uh, Obi-Wan is tasked with protecting Luke Skywalker. Uh, Luke, uh, Obi-Wan and a very select few people actually know the truth as to who Luke Skywalker is. Luke Skywalker is actually Darth Vader's son. Um, and that's why it's so important to protect Luke Skywalker from that knowledge. Um, so that's his job. He, he's tasked to go to this planet, hide, and protect Luke Skywalker from a distance because also Luke isn't supposed to know who his father is or who he is. So it's a very tricky situation that he finds himself in. So he goes to this planet, he wanders into the desert, finds the mountains in the desert, and builds a little home in a cave, basically. And he's living out there for an extended period of time. Ten years, in fact. In those ten years, he becomes so buried in his self-guilt of what his part to play was in his failure that he chooses to completely close himself off to the world and to the force. So he no longer uses the force. He no longer connects with it by choice. And this is all coming from his own guilt that he's carrying. Now, he is, at the beginning of the story, he is asked to go out on a separate mission to protect another child. That other child is actually Luke Skywalker's sister, um, Leia, Princess Leia. How about that? Um, and she, uh, it turns out that she's been kidnapped. She's been kidnapped on this other planet that she lives on. And her parents, or her adopted parents, contact everyone begging, desperate, please go, 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 save, go save our child. And he's so buried in what he's, his personal stuff that he's like, I, I can't do that. Uh, ask someone else. I can't do that for you. Um, I, have, I have responsibilities here. Uh, that wasn't good enough, obviously, for Leia's parents, as it shouldn't be. So um, her father traveled and found Obi-Wan in the desert, broke into his house, and was basically like, you're going to do this. Paraphrasing greatly here, but you're going to do this. And he's like, okay, all right, I'll do it. Um, convinces him that he needs to do it. So Obi-Wan goes out on this, this uh, mission to go save Leia. And um, in the journey that he has through, through the story, um, there's really two key moments that stick out in terms of moments of spiritual humility that brought him to the place that he ultimately ended up at. The first one is he's traveling around. He finds Leia on a planet. Um, he rescues her from her captors, and then they're trying to flee. They're trying to escape and find a ship so they can get off planet and get her home. Um, in the midst of them trying to flee, Leia struggles with believing that Obi-Wan is a good person, so she tries to run away from Obi-Wan. So it's like a chase within a chase. Um, and Obi-Wan is just trying to like protect her and save her, and like, Leia, stop! Like, I'm, I'm here to, to help you. Um, Leia, in her disbelief and trying to get away from him, actually finds herself in a bad situation where she's on a roof, and uh, she's stuck between someone shooting at Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan's right here, and she's like, she needs to be away from both of them. So um, she's trying to figure that out, and she ends up tripping and falling. 
And it's not that she just trips and falls. She falls off the side of the building. So she's, she's falling to her death in the air. <laughs> and it's not funny. Don't laugh. Um, she's laughing because she knows this story so well. Uh, that's got to be it. So she's falling, and Obi-Wan is faced with a choice. Um, his choices are either to live in the world that he's, he's built for himself as a recluse and turned off from the Force and the world, um, or, or he can save her. The only way he can save her is by using the Force. So at the last minute, he makes that choice to save her. Because, I mean, at his heart, he's a Jedi. He's, he's a good doer. He's there to save and protect people. So he does that. And this is what ends up happening to Leia in that moment. Right at the last second, you can see that she ends up just floating in the air like this. And Obi-Wan is able to achieve a reconnection with the Force just enough to catch her right before she hits the ground. Before she gently drops down to the ground. At which point she realizes he's a good person. He's actually a Jedi. Um, and he then has his first key moment of humility in recognizing it like he needs to let go of whatever he's built up for 10 years in order to save this girl that he said he would protect. Um, as we go into this next slide, you'll see what Obi-Wan had to endure in that moment. When he decided to go ahead and reconnect with the Force to save her, that's the pain that he went through. You can see it written all over his face how much that hurt him, how uncomfortable that was, how everything inside of him was trying to fight that. And yet he pursued through it in complete discomfort and anguish before he finally pulled through into that moment and was able to reconnect with the Force. So that's key moment number one for him of humility that reconnects him to the Force, which remember, the Force is God in this scenario. The second key moment, we jump way ahead and uh, we're at the end, towards the end of the story now. He has gone through this process. They've gone through a long journey to get Leia home. They've come through stumbling blocks across the way. And in each instance, he regains part of who he was, Obi-Wan. He regains part of who he was 10 years ago as he goes through the story. And they're through acts of bravery and humility and sacrifice for other people, all of these things that build him back into himself, ultimately. And what... And what God, the force, wants him to be, hopes for him to be, um, who he's destined to be. He sends Leia off to get, to get home because she has a safe path home, but then he at some point figures it out that Darth Vader's still alive, and he didn't know that the last 10 years, and he realizes, I have to finish what I started. Like, he is so dangerous, but I, like, I've got to finish this. So he splits ways with Leia. Leia goes home to a safe, in a safe route, and he has to go another way. Leia's not happy about this. She's not happy at all because he promised he would get her home safe. The only way she lets him leave is by saying, to, to make him promise that he will come back and see her when he's done. Come back and see me at home, and, and I might be okay with this. Um, so he makes that promise to Leia that I, he would see her again. And then he goes off, and he goes and finds Darth Vader, and they have this epic, awesome lightsaber battle. We talked about um, doing a lightsaber battle in the middle of this service today. Um, in theory, it sounds really awesome, but um, I, I, I pictured in my head, I'm like, that, that's just going to be so tacky, so tacky, unless we spent like six months orchestrating it, and it was epic. It, was just, it just didn't feel like it was, it was really. But I did wear my Star Wars socks, so we're good. Woohoo. <laughs> So, he's having a battle 
with Darth Vader, they're, they're pretty closely matched. Darth Vader realizes that he's reconnected with the Force and he's gaining his power back, but Darth Vader is still way more powerful just because he's so angry and he's so deeply rooted in the dark side. So he ends up burying Obi-Wan under a mountain of rocks, thinking he had finished the job. And he has all sorts of snappy, witty things to say to Obi-Wan. It's, it's quite funny. Um, and Obi-Wan, they cut to a scene where Obi-Wan is under the rocks, and he's holding up the rocks with his hand with the force. But he's really struggling, because that's a lot of weight. And um, as we're seeing him struggle with this, buried under the weight of these rocks, he's also buried under the weight of his own failures in his life. And you hear this dialogue of all the moments in the past that he's had with Darth Vader before he, he was bad, and... And all the moments that he failed, Darth Vader. And it's just crushing his soul. He's, he's, he's losing his own fight with keeping himself alive. And then suddenly it all silences, and he remembers something. I promised a little girl that I would go see her at home. And this image of Leia pops into his head. This, this beautiful, happy, smiling girl who, who gives him this look of like affection for him. Um, and he remembers that he made that promise. And suddenly his eyes open... He looks up. All the rocks just go flying. He's gained this certain strength through this act of humility that's so small, if you think about it. Like, it's a small thing to, I promised this girl I would go see her. I mean, that's something that you could just kind of look past oftentimes in the world that we live in. Um, But this small thing is what he remembered, and it's what gave him, I would say coming from the Star Wars nerds area, um, I think that in this moment, Obi-Wan has more connection with the Force and more power than he's ever had in his entire life. And it really shows because he goes and finds Darth Vader and like totally smashes him. Doesn't kill him, but smashes him um, and puts him in his place. And, uh, and that, that turning point is, is the climax of, of Obi-Wan's story, I really think. It's, he, he comes to this, this piece and this, this it's not about me. It's about... It's about a promise I made. It's about someone else and protecting and caring for someone else. So that's kind of what I want to touch on Obi-Wan. I'm going to quickly talk about uh, the character Qui-Gon Jinn. Anybody know? Anybody know who that is? All right, cool, cool. If you Qui-Gon Jinn, like, so Obi-Wan was Darth Vader's master before he turned bad. Qui-Gon Jinn was Obi-Wan's master. So Qui-Gon taught Obi-Wan everything that he knew growing up. Um... I hope that those of you who understand who Qui-Gon is can just collectively agree that Qui-Gon is basically Jedi Jesus. I'll explain why. Jedi Jesus. Uh, Obi-Wan was a Jedi master, but he never wanted to be a part of the Jedi Council, the Jedi, the group of like master Jedi, because he saw too much flaw in them. We can look at the, the, they were literally the religious political leaders of their time when they were at the height. And Qui-Gon's off to the side, he's like, I see what you're supposed to be but you're not, so I can't be a part of what you're doing, but I will serve as a Jedi and do what I think is right. He's super against the grain in that way. Ultimately, he, he meets his fate from, from someone from the dark side, um, but then we find out later on that he's figured out a way to life through death, and that's through being a force ghost. So he's figured out in the afterlife how to come back to life as a ghost that like, it's like the glowy ghost thing. Um, he's the one who figured that out. He's the first person to do it, the first Jedi to do it. So, I mean, come on, coming back to life from the dead, 
challenging religious leaders. He's Jedi Jesus. So at the end of the story, um, the whole time this story's going on, Obi-Wan's trying to connect with Qui-Gon because he knows that he figured out the Force Ghost thing, but he can't connect with him. The last scene in this, in this film or in this series is Qui-Gon showing up and Obi-Wan's like, oh, you're finally here. I've been looking for you for so long. And Qui-Gon goes, I was always here, Obi-Wan. You just weren't ready to see me, which I think is a really important thing for him and his journey of realizing like it took him that humility to finally get to that point where he could connect with his master again. So little quick tidbit on Qui-Gon there. It's kind of a, a cool side thing, but it is it, it, it matters for sure. The last character that I want to focus on is actually the bad guy. Um, she's called the third sister. Ooh, where'd it go? There she is. Oh, she's so, she looks so mad. Um, she's the third sister. She is basically a minion of Darth Vader who's sent across the galaxy to search for more Jedi and take them down because some of them survived. So she's, she's, a, she's a Darth Vader minion. She's looking for Obi-Wan through the whole story. Um, she carries a past that's created a lot of revenge in her. She seeks revenge. Interestingly, she seeks revenge on Darth Vader because of something he did to her in her childhood. Um, and she was good at a core, but then she, she managed to, I mean, this thing happened to her. It was Darth Vader's fault. And she's like, I need to, I need to, I need my revenge. The only way I'm going to get it is if I befriend him and get close to him. So the whole story we find out, she's, she is portraying this evil dark side person, but her goal is to get to Darth Vader so she can kill him and get her revenge on what he did to her. She does get to the point where she has her moment near Darth Vader, and actually, interestingly, with the help of Obi-Wan. Um, so she has this moment. She comes up behind Darth Vader. She's about to strike Darth Vader, of course, being Darth Vader, stops her in his most epic way possible. And he turns around and he's like, did you, did you, not th- did you think that I didn't know who you were and what you were doing? And, you know, totally puts her in her place. She's left on the ground um, with, with a stab wound and feels super defeated. Um, yet her, her rage helps her to survive. Um, I guess that's how the dark side works, apparently. Which makes sense, because all, all of the, the bad people in Star Wars seem to keep coming back to life. I mean, one of them got cut in half, and he came back to life. I don't understand how that works, but uh, apparently the dark side is the answer. Um, so she's alive, and she's angry. Um, feels defeated, but she's angry. She still wants her revenge, though, because she spent her whole life doing it. She manages, in her crawling around trying to survive, she finds a communicator that fell out of Obi-Wan's pocket. And she turns it on and realizes, and, and it's talking about Luke Skywalker and where he's located, and that he's the son of Darth Vader. And she's like, oh, well, if I can't have Darth Vader, then I'm going to take his son. So she goes off to that planet to find Luke Skywalker. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan, now being super powerful with the Force, realizes what's happening, and he tries to race her there and, and stop her. He ultimately doesn't quite get there in time. She finds Luke Skywalker. He, and he's trying to run away. He falls. He gets knocked out. And she has her moment. She's got her moment to take him down. And when she goes to strike, she suddenly sees herself and her innocence in him. Because what happened to her was a complete innocence. She didn't deserve what happened to her. She sees herself in Luke Skywalker, and she can't do it. She can't do this thing because it's not fair. It's what, it's what happened to her, so why would she do that to someone else? So she actually ultimately saves Luke Skywalker and brings him back to his family. And 
when she gets there, she stops and looks at Obi-Wan, just totally broken tears in her eyes, and she says, have I become him? And by him, she's referring to Darth Vader. Have I become the thing that I sought to destroy? And Obi-Wan has a really wise response. He says, no, you haven't become him. You have honored those from your past, and now you get to decide who you're going to be. So my point there with, with the third sister is this. Um, she went so far that most people would take her for just, she's too far gone. She, she can't be helped. Um, but it was a moment of humility and recognizing what she was becoming that brought her back enough to change her ways. And the point there is that it doesn't matter how far gone you are. You can always come back from where you've been. All three characters in this story have a common theme. Um, Ultimately, whether it started that way or ended that way, their journeys came to a point where they thought of themselves less than others. So I wanted to propose, uh, we talked about, um, oh, actually, we didn't talk about it, but but there's, there's two definitions of humble. I forgot this part at the beginning. It was kind of important. Two definitions of humble that the world really relates to. The first one is this, having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. And the other one, which I think is probably more common in society, is of low social, administrative, or political rank. So, for example, living a humble life, that's a phrase we hear, living a lower level life. So I kind of want to modify this, or at least add an alternative definition of humble that relates to what we're talking about, of these characters that think of themselves less. Oftentimes we associate humility with with lowness, um, but that can lead us to thinking thinking lowly of ourselves, not, not, not thinking too great of ourselves. So, Let's, let's look at it this way. So we're going to go, don't think less of yourself. Instead, think of yourself less. So that's an important distinction between, between these two. And I think it's really a difference between these two definitions. The low social, administrative, political rank person thinks less of themselves. Or at least other people think less of, them, of the, that person. But having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance is thinking of yourself less. And there's a big difference between the two. So I think really... The true God's version of humility is thinking of yourself less. It's the first description. And it's required in order for us to love others, to consider others, and to put ourselves aside. So there's a few points, takeaway points from this. Remember that first phrase that we talked about, God is everything and I am nothing. That requires the humility to acknowledge that we don't have anything without God. We are nothing without God. He is everything. He's given us everything. So that's point number one. Number two, I can't change the world until I'm capable of changing my own world. In order to change my world, I must first learn to observe my flaws that have replaced God's plans with my own plans. There's a verse that I want to share with you guys about this a little bit. It touches on this. It is John 15, verses 1 through 5. It says this. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's this thing that happened in the 1960s, from what I've discovered, from what I've researched and read. Um, From the creation of America to the 1960s, public schools did a really good job of focusing and teaching character development in students. Character development that ultimately, hopefully, grew those people into adults that would be able to self-reflect and reflect on themselves and improve themselves. Uh, But in the 1960s, something changed, and there was a shift that started happening. A school started focusing more on um, teaching about the world issues, the big world issues, the big things um, that are, are problems in the world. And slowly over time, the character development has faded. And I think we can, can really see that in some of the younger generations of our society. I'll throw myself in that category for sure. Um, of these loud voices of people who are pointing at these big problems as the issues that need to be fixed. Right? And they're not wrong. That's not a bad thing to point out the flaws of the world, especially the big ones that really need to be figured out. Um, but how often, I wonder, are those people capable of personal reflection and figuring out what their issues are? I think that, I mean, I've seen so many angry people pointing at these big issues but then when they're challenged or questioned about their, their motives, their personal stuff, they get real upset. That's not what we're talking about. That's the problem. I'm not the problem. That's the problem. And if you don't listen to me, then you're the problem, right? So it's a lot of people pointing fingers, but not very often stopping to reflect on themselves. Now, this is important. I want you to hear this well. All of us have been given opportunities that we didn't earn. All of us have privileges that we don't deserve. Make no mistake, God was there in every one of those opportunities, both in the past, both now, and in the future. Our intuition and instinct with these opportunities will often be to exploit them for personal gain. We will want to give ourselves a degree of comfort and of stability that many others do not ever have the opportunity to experience. We can use Obi-Wan as an example of this. He went through a hard time. He chose to take advantage of the opportunity to be put in seclusion, and he shut himself off for his own personal reasons, because he carried guilt, and he decided it was the easiest thing to do. We have to be very careful with the intuitions and, excuse me, and instincts, because the immediate emotions connected to them are not always trustworthy. The moment we begin to exploit these opportunities for personal gain is the moment that we fail. Instead, we must use these opportunities to better our world outside of what we think it should be and focus in on what God wants our world to be. 
Complete humility in our surrender to God through Jesus as our vine is crucial to truly achieving this. So, going back to our main verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Big world problems. God can do it if we let him in and we figure our own stuff out. Now, humbleness and the act of humility, the exercise of humility, requires vulnerability and discomfort. It's essential. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable and vulnerable with yourself, with God, and oftentimes with each other. So, we are going to do a little exercise. It's a prayer exercise. What we're going to do is I want to break up the, group or the, the room into a couple different small groups. So actually what I'm going to do is let's have, um, let's, have, let's have the three of you bunched with this group here, and you guys will be one group. I'm actually going to have you guys be one group in this section, and then, uh, and then have you guys, yeah, we'll have you guys all be one group too. A little big. But um, what I want you guys to do in this is practice this vulnerability, this humility that's required to better ourselves. We're going to do a, 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 about four minutes or so, four to five minutes of prayer time. And what I want you to do is really observe yourself. Observe the things that might be holding you back from what God's plan for your life is. Now, The best way to do this in this exercise is to be vulnerable enough to say them out loud. That's really hard. So if you need to do it in your own silence, that is totally fine. As long as it's genuine and it's connected with God, that is the thing that matters the most. Take this time, be with your group, um, and and just focus on you and what, what God needs to fix in you. Some of us know immediately, like one thing, that we need to fix. Some of it's a little bit more deep-rooted. Some of it's really big. Some of it's really small. We all carry so much with ourselves that we need to confess to God, that we need to give to God, that we need to humble ourselves and recognize those are the things that happen when we try and do life by ourselves, when we let ourselves be the everything instead of God. So gather into your groups. We'll take a few minutes. We'll do this prayer exercise, and then I'll come back. All right, As we're wrapping up, recognize that some people didn't quite get to all the things they'd like to get to. It's very hard to wrap this all up in such a short period of time. And if you need to keep praying, please just talk over me. This exercise is difficult, as it should be. Did anybody face discomfort? Yes. Yes, you definitely should. You should be uncomfortable. <laughs> um, the purpose of doing this was not at all just to be, make my church uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. That's, that's not the case, although that sounds kind of funny when you, when you say it out loud. Um, I pray for you that even if this was a struggle for you, that you can see this exercise as an opportunity. 
This is something that we ought to do every day, maybe even multiple times a day, um, each and every one of us. The humility of, of bowing before a God that knows everything and admitting when you're wrong can be really challenging, but how crucial it is for us to become better versions of ourselves. I often say, and I, and I touched on it earlier, I can't change the world, but I can change my world. That's something that I've started to try and live by because the problems of the world are too great for me, myself, to fix. But I would modify that, and I kind of did in this in saying, I can't change the world until I change my own, or am I capable of changing my own world? And this is how we do it through, through this, um, this exercise, through, through being in prayer with God, acknowledging our faults. Figuring out what we're doing wrong is already a big challenge, but it is, it is the most important part of this. There are surface things that we know, we know we're there that we can fix, that we need to fix, but it can run so much deeper than that. Um, and those are the things that God's seeking after, those things that we've buried into our hearts, that he just wants us to get out so that he can heal us, right? And he can only do that if we allow him to through an exercise like this. So my encouragement to you is to take this exercise, whether it's by yourself, with, with your family, with a group of friends that are safe, and practice this. Humility doesn't come naturally to us. I, for one, feel like as I was preparing this sermon, I don't deserve to be talking about it because I'm terrible at humility. Um, I don't like it. Um, and I... But I also recognize that the importance of it is because I don't like it. I mean, that's, that's part of the restraint. Um, so please take this and, and find a way to exercise this more often in your life. Because you'll find that it, the moments of discomfort you feel will bring you to a place that you never thought you could be. So I pray for you that this is a time, um, while uncomfortable, a time where you've You've gained a connection with God, and it's something that you can, I don't want to say exploit, that's the wrong word, but take advantage of. Find a better path for you that's not your own, but it's God's. Amen?